Are y'all ready for some church this morning? Yeah, that was good. How'd y'all like the new song? That was an awesome worship song. Give, them, give the worship team a hand. Such a good job. Man, well, good morning and welcome to everyone this morning, especially welcome to those of you that are watching online as well. We're so glad to have all of you. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Rick. I have the joy and the privilege of being the pastor here at Warehouse Church, and we're going to have just an amazing morning together. I want you to know that um, uh, Kentucky gave a great welcome to the Connor family this week um, with floods and rock slides and snow and frozen roads and uh, coming down a mountain. We white knuckled it down the mountain today to get here or the hill. I guess it's a hill. It's not a mountain. But anyway, um, uh, and drove through the snow and we're not, Flor we're from Florida, so we don't know what that's like. Um, Jackson, our son, got to play in snow uh, for the very first time this week. So we just had a, it's been a really great week. Um, he got to go to school two days and then had snow days. We've never had snow days in our life. So, uh, <laughs> so he's loving this thing. He's like, man, I really like this snow days, two days out. And uh, so, um, so anyway, we're just so grateful that we get to uh, live with you here in Kentucky. And, uh, and so I want to let you know that if you're here in person or if you're watching online, that um, as Brian shared with us, Brian Aker shared with us earlier, we have this uh, amazing tool that is so helpful for you. Uh, if you'll use it, you just download the YouVersion Bible app. And uh, from the App Store, and, and you can have access to all our sermon notes. You can have access to all our announcements. You can keep kind of walk along with me through the scripture this morning. Uh, you can keep notes, and you can look back at them later on this week. And so I encourage you, uh, if you haven't done that, so do it now. It's so helpful for us. And, uh, and so last week, we, excuse me, we kicked off our New Year's sermon series called Unleashed. And, uh, and we are looking at four must-dos uh, that will help us to unleash a radical kind of faith in this new year, in 2022. Like, we want 2022 to be different than 2021. We want it to be a, a different year, a year that where we unleash this radical kind of faith in us. And last week, we talked about the first of those four things. And we said that the most important thing that we can do this year to unleash this radical kind of faith is to pursue Jesus. Everybody say pursue with me pursue. Yeah, we got to pursue Jesus. So it's so important that we begin every single day pursuing Jesus, that we bend our hearts to God every day. And we say, God, this day is your day. And this is the day that I'm going to follow you. It's the day that you've made. And I'm going to pursue you today. And so today we're going to look at our second uh, step to unleashing that radical kind of faith that we've been talking about. And it's this idea. It's to live a transformed life. Everybody say transformation. So we're, I'm going to keep you awake this morning. I'm going to get you talking back to me. So transformation, we're going to talk about living a transformed life, that if we're going to experience a radical kind of faith, we've got to live a transformed life. Now, to get a better understanding of what a transformed life looks like, we're going to dive into the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles or on that Bible app, if you want to find your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, not 1 Corinthians, that's the love chapter. We're going to talk about that later on in the month. But today we're talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 11 through 13 together. Now, the first 12 and a half chapters of 2 Corinthians, you need to know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, planted a lot of churches, responsible for most of the New Testament, 
Paul, that guy, has been addressing some really tough issues that the church at Corinth was facing. And, and so he was sharing with them some things that they needed to hear. And it hasn't been easy. Like, it hasn't been easy words. It's been hard words. It's been words that have been critical words. It's been words that, that they needed to hear because they were stepping out uh, of, of the, they were, they were getting outside of the guardrails, if you will. And so Paul's kind of getting them back in, uh, getting them back into the safety zone, if you will. And so he's sharing with them some really hard stuff. And so he's been sharing this for 12 and a half chapters. And now he gets to this part where we're at right now in chapter 13, verse 11. And he begins it by saying, finally, finally. He's like, listen, I know I've had a lot to say. I know that there's been some hard things. I know there's some things that have kind of stung a little bit. I know there's some things that have, that have, have been really hard to swallow but then he goes, but finally, there's one more thing that I need you to know, church. He's like, there's one more thing that I want you to hear from me, finally. And so in these final verses, Paul shares five encouragements with them. He shares a promise with them. And then he shares a benediction or a blessing with them. And so let's just read it together uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. So read along with me if you can. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. He says, become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I think that this is an amazing, amazing passage for us as we launch into this new year. And, and as we talk about this idea of living the transformed life together. And so today, I just want us to focus in on one of those verses. I want us just to dive in deep into verse 11. Because it's in verse 11 that we find Paul share these five qualities of a transformed life that I want you to know today. And so Paul begins by saying, finally, brothers and sisters. And, and if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians and all of 2 Corinthians, you'll find that, man, there really were some serious issues, that the church really had gotten sideways, that they had, they had forgotten some of the things that they knew they were supposed to be doing, that they started believing some things that they weren't supposed to believing, believe in, that they were treating each other poorly and badly. And so Paul has spent this whole 12 and a half chapters, he spent the whole book of 1 Corinthians kind of helping them to get, along, to get back onto the same page. And he's also shared with them some serious challenges that he's faced. And he shared with them a little bit of, of, of what's going on in his world. But he wants them to know that, you know what, I know I've shared with you these things, but I still love you. I still care about you. We're still brothers and sisters. And so he says, finally, brothers and sisters. He's like, I, I love you guys. I want you to know that I'm still with you in this. And he's not just talking to the leadership of the church, right? He's not just talking to the advisory board. He's not just talking to the executive team or ministry team leaders or, or, or group leaders. He's talking to every person in the church. And he's sharing with every one of them. And, and he's wrapping up everything that he's, that he's been talking about. He's summarizing it, uh, his concerns for them, if you will. He's like, listen, I know I've shared a lot of stuff with you, but finally, here's what's most important. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to know. And I want you to notice what Paul's concerned about for the church. Like he's not focused on their financial well-being. He's not worried about dollars and cents. 
He's not worried about their, com- their personal comfort, like was the, was the church too hot or too cold? Was the, was the church, did it look good on the outside? He wasn't concerned about those things. He wasn't concerned if they reached mega church status. Like he wasn't counting how many butts were in the seats. He wasn't concerned about those things. What he was most concerned about, as he said, finally, brothers and sisters, is he was concerned about their hearts. He was concerned about their spiritual health. He was concerned about their growth, their faith. He was concerned about their relationships with one another. He was concerned that they wouldn't live the transformed life. And so to help us to get a better understanding of this, let's dive into it a little deeper. And and let's look at these five words of encouragement that we find in verse 11 that will help us to transform our lives and the lives of those around us. And so the first word that Paul uses, and it's, it's my favorite one of all the words, it's the word rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. Now I want you to say it like you're filled with joy. Say rejoice. Rejoice. So yeah, so Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And he uses this word eight times in 2 Corinthians. And it's a word that means to be cheerful or to be happy. And, and I was thinking about it on the way here. I was like, oh, I should have had James like play the song happy when I said the word rejoice. Because that, word, that song like makes everybody happy, right? Some of you are like, no, I want to shut the radio off when I hear that song. But, but, have, but rejoice. And, and so Paul is using this word. He says, I want you to rejoice, to be cheerful, to be happy. Now, um, again, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it was filled with tough issues. And you, like I said, you catch glimpses into his suffering even. He shares with them, listen, I'm writing from prison. I'm, I've been in chains. I've been shipwrecked. I've, I've experienced all these things and my life is coming to an end. And, and he's tackling some really hard things. And he's talking to them about some really hard issues that have to do with doctrine. But through it all, through every moment, through every uh, every every. Um, Every stroke of the pen that he writes, he never loses his joy. Paul never loses his joy. He never fails to impart joy to others. He never stops rejoicing. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Paul had every reason to lose joy. He'd been in prison. He had been shipwrecked. He had experienced a... a, a, tons of persecution for preaching the gospel. He knew his life was coming to an end. He had every reason to complain, but not once does he complain, but instead he tells the church, I want you to rejoice because Paul was a joy giver and a joy receiver. Check out what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. He says, I am overcome with joy in all our afflictions. Paul's like, church, check it out. Even though my circumstances are all pain and suffering, even though I am grieving, even though I am suffering, guess what? I still have joy in my life. But Paul wasn't the only one that, accept, that lived this life of joy and suffering at the same time. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows. And then we look on in Hebrews chapter 1, and it says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. So I want you to hear this, that joy and sorrow 
can go together. They can live together. We can be joyful and have grief in our lives at the same time. And let's be honest and let's be real with ourselves that there, there's no shortage of reasons for us to have grief and sorrow in our lives. I mean, we just look around the world. We thought in 2021, we thought we'd be done with COVID. Here we are in 2022, still dealing with COVID. We look at our inflation going up. We look at the economics. We look at politics. We look at all these things, and there's no shortage of reason for us to be sad or filled with grief or sorrow. But I want you to hear this, that grieving is not incompatible with rejoicing. They kind of go hand in hand. And, and you can grieve and still find joy in our Lord and Savior at the very same time. Just a few weeks ago, right before we were leaving, uh, I was having a lunch with one of my friends, John. He's a pastor of a church, and we're good friends, and we get together. We have Thai food every other week uh, when we were there and, and when I lived in Florida. And we would just kind of share what's going on. And John had lost his dad. Well, he didn't actually lose his dad because he knew where his dad was, but his dad had gone to be with Jesus in heaven. And John is grieving the loss of his dad, but as we're sitting there over Thai food having lunch and he's sharing with me the grief and the pain that he's experiencing from the loss of his dad, he stops in the middle and a smile is on his face and he remembers that he still has joy because of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And that grief and joy can coexist together. And so Paul's looking at us and saying, listen, church, you can have joy and grief at the same time, that, that your circumstances don't define your joy because your joy is found in me and me alone. So Paul is wrapping up this letter, finally, brothers and sisters, and he's wanting the believers at Corinth to live a life of joy that's not defined by their circumstances, but a life of joy that is defined and rooted in Jesus and in the gospel. So as followers of Jesus, joy ought to be a characteristic that stands out in our lives. People ought to come up to us and say, why are you so joyful in the midst of these crazy circumstances? People should come up to us at work and say, you know, I notice that you always like, you've got joy in your heart. Why is that? Why do you have joy in your heart? Our family should look at us and say, you know what? It's hard time. We're, we're celebrating the life of so-and-so, but you still find joy. How do you do that? You see, we should always be rejoicing in what we have in Jesus. And so just last Wednesday, I was, uh, I was at the Dodge dealership here in, uh, in, in Paintville, Paintsville. Sorry, there's an S. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In Paintsville. I'm still learning them all, okay? So we were, we were having, um, I was getting my car fixed in Paintsville because the check engine light came on. You know, my car is like, I'm tired. I'm done. We made it from Florida, but now I'm going to throw on a check engine light. And usually it goes off. So I waited a few days. I'm like, it'll go away. It wasn't going away. I was like, I better go check it out because, you know, it's getting crazy around here and with floods and snow and everything. And so I'm sitting there in the dealership. I'm waiting for my car to be fixed. And I'm, doing, I'm working on this sermon. I got my laptop out. And, and I'm kind of a people watcher. And uh, you give me like a Coke and a bench and, and people, and I'm happy as can 
can be because I just want to watch people. And so I'm sitting there in the, in the, in the waiting room, and I'm, I'm doing my thing, and, and there's this guy, and he's kind of, a, I call him a character. He was kind of a character. He caught my attention, and he walks up to the parts department. He's getting something from the parts department. Then he has to go to the cashier department, and there's a bell you have to ring. Well, he didn't ring the bell. He's like tapping his key. I'm like, dude, there's a sign that says ring the bell. But he's tapping his key on the counter, and then I'm, I'm watching all this happen. Finally, the cashier comes out, and he begins to talk to her, and he's kind of got this booming voice, and he kind of catches your attention anyway, and I'm listening to the conversation, and, and I'm looking over there, and the cashier's looking at me like, oh my gosh, I'm having this conversation, and, and it's kind of like we're all watching this, and, and, and before I know it, though, this man begins to share the joy he found in Jesus with this cashier, and he begins to just lead her. He's just telling her all about Jesus. He's telling her all about what Jesus has done in his life and how she needs Jesus, how she should come to his church and, and all this thing, and then all of a sudden, uh, in the middle of this, he broke out in song right in the middle of the, of the dealership. And he doesn't just sing like, amazing, great. He's like, amazing. And, and he's singing a hymn. I've never heard the hymn before. It's, it's, it's an old time hymn. And he is belting it out. And with all the joy he can muster in his heart, he is singing this hymn. And people start gathering around, right? And, and there's, there's car salesmen gathered around. There's customers gathered around. The lady in the cashier, she's just like mortified. She doesn't know what to do. She's like, what do I do with this? He's like right in front of me singing this hymn. And, uh, and I'm watching. I'm like, yeah, brother, like you got the joy in your heart. And so that's the joy that Paul is talking about. He's talking about this joy that we need, and I want you to remember that this joy that he's talking about is independent of our circumstances. What's going on around us, what's happening in our world, our circumstances aren't going to make us joyful. We find our joy in Christ. That's why the song says, I got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my heart, right? Like you sing that in Kentucky, right? Like I know, you know that song. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Not from my circumstances, not from what's going on in the world, but because I found my joy in Jesus. So Paul says rejoice. And that's the first word of encouragement to living a transformed life. The second word that he uses is the word or the phrase become mature. He says be joyful and become mature. Your translation may say, uh, become complete or aim for restoration. But Paul uses the same word in verse 9 uh, of, the, of the same chapter when he says, we also pray that you become fully mature. And so what's Paul talking about? What's this word mature mean? It means to make complete or to make whole. And it means to fix something or restore something so it can be made whole. For example, if you have a broken or dislocated bone, uh, well, the first thing you do is you're going to go see Maynard. He's up here playing the guitar, right? He's an x-ray technician. You're going to go see him, and he's going to say, yep, you got a broken bone. And then you're going to go to the doctor so that they can reset your bone. Now, I've never had a broken bone in my body, and probably today I'll walk out in the parking lot and break something, but I've never had a broken bone in my body. But I can imagine that resetting a bone is like a painful process. Like, I'm sure it's not something that you want to go and do. I'm sure that it's, it's painful. But, but, but the doctor wants to reset it to put it back in its right place so that your arm or your leg or your hip or whatever's broken can be made whole again. And sometimes you and I, we find ourselves in broken relationships and, and, and relationships that need to be mended, uh, relationships that need to be reset, relationships that need to be put back into order. And so here, this word mature it has to do with restoring what is broken inside of us. 
restoring the body of Christ, making us back or restoring us back to who God originally created us to be. And, and so, so that it can be whole, we can be whole, and so that we can function as we were created to function. Now notice Paul says, become mature. Everybody say become. become. Because that's the important word there. The mature word we get, but become is important because the implication here is that you haven't yet arrived, right? There's still work to do in us. In other words, God isn't finished with you yet. Like I'd write that down. God's not finished with me yet. I'm in the process of becoming made whole. I'm in the process of being restored. A really churchy word. You want a really churchy word? I don't use them a lot. Sanctification. All right, there's your big churchy word for today. And that simply means that we are going to be made whole. And Paul urges the church. He's urging the church to press on to spiritual maturity, to not settle for where they are. He's saying, don't get comfortable. Don't keep taking your next step. I'm all about next steps. You're going to hear a lot about next steps over this coming year. What's your next step? Have you joined a small group? Is that your next step? Have you become a partner? Is that your next step? Have you, have you daily, are you daily reading your Bible? Is that, what's your next step? And Paul's saying, I want you to continue to take your next step. It's a process. Maturity doesn't happen overnight. You don't come out of the womb a teenager, right? Thank goodness you don't come out of the womb a teenager. But it's a process. You've got to grow into it. And, uh, and so it takes time. It requires change. It requires adjusting and tweaking. And Paul's reminding the church then, and he's reminding us today, don't be content to stay where you are spiritually. In other words, keep growing. Don't get lazy. You know, some of us are stuck in neutral. Some of us have gone in reverse, right? And we're going the opposite direction. We're moving backwards. And so I believe that one of the ways here that we can mature in our faith, one of the ways that we can do that at Warehouse Church is by getting involved in warehouse groups. And I want to encourage you that we believe that transformation, so I'm not going to take credit for this. Beth said this phrase, and I'm like, i got to write that down because it was a good phrase. But we believe that transformation happens in circles, not in rows. We believe transformation happens in circles, not in rows. And so on January 26th, we're going to launch our, our warehouse groups for this year. And, and we're going to kick it off with a warehouse groups kickoff party. And we're inviting you to join us on February, or excuse me, on January 26th. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to have people share how groups have transformed their lives. We're going to give you a chance to sign up to be a part of a group. You see, groups are a major way that we can mature in our faith. It's a major way that we can grow in our faith. And so you and I, we got to continue to mature. None of us have arrived. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. You've been following Jesus for three months. You've been following Jesus for 26 years. You still have a next step to take. There's still maturing that needs to happen in your life. And so groups are a major way we can do that. And so we must continue to mature. So Paul says rejoice. He says become mature. And then number three, he says be encouraged. Everybody say encouraged. encouraged. Yes. And so it means to call to one side. So maybe you need encouragement. You call to one, someone to your side. You call someone and ask them for help. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm the worst at asking for help. I don't do it well. And I know there's probably a lot of men out here that are just like me. Like we don't even ask for directions. 
We get lost in GPS. We lose signal. I've learned that up here. You, learn, you lose signal a lot. Like, I'm like, I relied on GPS, and I'm like driving to someone's house. I'm like, uh-oh, no signal. Where do I go, right? And we don't ask for help when we get lost. But Paul's saying, be encouraged and comfort one another. Help one another. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about God being the comfort, the God of all comfort. He's the one who comes alongside of us when we're hurting and when we are heavy hearted. And he encourages us to do the same for one another. And so this reminds us of this really simple truth that we are better together, that we need one another, that we are not self-sufficient, believe it or not, that we need each other. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to get heavy hearted. And that's why Paul says, comfort one another, encourage one another. And as you do, be encouraged and be comforted. So we need one another. We need to offer encouragement. We need to offer comfort to others who need it. And when we do that, we, what we receive from him, when we receive comfort from God, we share it with others who need it as well. You see, here's what happens. I get it from you, and you get it from me, and we're all getting it from God. And it's a never-ending supply or a never-ending flow of comfort and encouragement and grace. So here's what that means, and I want you to hear this. It means that the body of, in the body of Christ, there should never be anyone among us, never, ever, ever be anyone among us who is not encouraged in Christ or who does not experience the warmth of his comfort received from God and received from us. That as we receive encouragement from God, check it out, we should be sharing it with others. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep God's comfort and encouragement and grace to yourself, but extend it, extend it and offer it to others. And so we should all be receiving it from his people and from him. So we rejoice, we become mature, we encourage and comfort one another, and then number four, we be of the same mind. We be of the same mind. Everybody say same. same. You all said the same word right there. And the Bible says we are to be of same mind. Paul says in Philippians 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, intent on one purpose. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says this word. He says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And so what that's saying to us is that we should think about the attitude in the mind of Jesus. I mean, think about that for a minute. Think about what Jesus thought about. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes and his attitude towards us as his people. And that's the very same attitude, Paul says, and the very same mindset that we should have towards one another. It's how we should think about one another. And as Jesus loved us, and as Jesus gave himself up for us, guess what? We should do the very same for everyone else. Even people that we don't like, we should treat the same way as Christ has taught, uh, as Christ Jesus treated us. Now, this verse doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything. Be of the same mind doesn't mean that we will think, think the same about every single thing. In fact, just in this room, we probably have a lot of, difference of differences of opinion on a lot of different things. 
Maybe there's some things on doctrinal issues that we have different ideas about. Maybe we have different ideas about baptism, or maybe we have different ideas about how often we should do communion, or maybe we have different ideas about eschatology or Christology, and you're like, whoa, what is all that stuff? Uh, Don't worry about it. But other people say, those things are important, and they draw the line in the sand, and they're like, if you don't agree with me on this, then we can't be friends. If you don't agree with me on this, then we're not the same. So we have differences. We even have differences on how we should educate our children. And we have differences about politics. We have differences about political parties and leaders. We have differences about justice issues. We have differences about whether we should wear a mask or not. And it's okay to have differences of opinions. And Paul can say, be of same mind, because he knew. He knew that we can do that and not have to agree on everything. But here's what we do agree on. Here's what we have to agree on. We have to agree on the things that are essential for our faith. We have a shared commitment to truth and that this, this book is the word of God and it is true. And so whatever this book speaks to, whatever God speaks to in his word, those are the things that we are going to agree on. We have to agree on those things. But whatever it doesn't speak to or whatever it's not clear about, then we can agree to disagree on some things. And some people have a really hard time digesting that. That what this word says to us is true. We must agree on those things. But on the things that it doesn't talk about, we can agree to disagree So we're going to agree on the essentials of our faith. And that's the basis for unity in the church. We're unified by the word of God. The word of God brings us together. And we are to be of the same mind when it comes to that. So Paul says rejoice. He says become mature. He says be encouraged and comfort one another. And he says be of same mind. And then finally he says Oh, and be at peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. That's the fifth and final word of encouragement, to be at peace. And I wonder if you're catching on right now. I wonder if you see how all of these things interrelate and connect with each other. Like if you're not thinking right about the person next to you, there's no way that you're going to be at peace. If you're not encouraging and comforting one another, there's no way that you're going to be at peace. If you're not being uh, growing and maturing in your faith, you're not going to be at peace. But Paul says that we must be at peace. Another translation says that we are to live in peace. And this idea seems to be in short supply today, right? Like, like if you're on social media alone, you don't have to go far. You can just grab your phones and turn on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or whatever it is that you do. And, and you see that people are not at peace, but people are at war. They're picking on each other. They're criticizing one another. They're blasting each other. And even Christians, even my friends that I know, they're picking on each other. And they're picking on each other about things that, that don't matter, And they're criticizing and tearing each other down. And let me just say, that's not loving differently. You know, around here we say we're going to love differently. And that's not loving differently. That's just being like everyone else. And my heart breaks, church, 
My heart breaks when I see it. I mean, it completely breaks my heart when I see friends that I know have been Christians for a really long time blasting other Christians and criticizing them and tearing them down. And if it grieves my heart, I can only imagine what it does to the heart of God. And here's the deal, we don't just do it publicly, but we do it privately in our own little private conversations. We have those conversations where we begin to tear down people around us. Oh, you know what, so-and-so, I can't believe they believe this, they did this, they said that, they, they didn't do this, they did do that. And we begin to tear people down in our private conversations too. And while we tear people down, all the while Paul is saying, church, if you're going to live the transformed life, you got to live in peace. As followers of Jesus, we're to be intentional about bringing people together, not repelling them. And you want to know why church is shrinking today? Because all we're doing is we're saying this is what we're against. This is not what we're for. Why don't we start talking about what we're for? We're for Jesus. We're for the Jesus that came and died on the cross so that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Now, we can't force anyone to live peaceably. You're not going to force someone. You may have family members or friends or people at your work, but they're just not peaceable people. They're not peacemakers. They don't love peace, and you can't force them to be people of peace. But here's what you can do. You can act peaceably towards them. Nothing disarms a, a person that is unpeace that has no peace, nothing disarms that person more than being a person of peace. Not diving into whatever it is that they want you to get involved in. Not letting them stir you up. Not letting them get a rise out of you. But being a person of peace towards them. Living a life of peace. So Paul is saying, hey, I want you to live a life of peace. He says, rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged. Encourage one another. Be of the same mind and be at peace. Live in peace with one another. Now, I want you to know that these five transforming actions, they provide a pattern, church, for us to evaluate our own lives and for us to evaluate our relationships with people around us. And they help us to discover if we're living the transformed life. You want to know if you're living the transformed life? Just ask yourself, am I rejoicing? Do I have joy in my life? Am I intentionally growing my faith? Am I encouraging people? Am I comforting one another? Am I living a life of peace? Am I of the same mind? So let me just ask you, how are you doing in cultivating and modeling these qualities in your life? Now, I don't expect you to go to Walmart and break out in an old hymn in the middle of aisle 20. I'm really not asking you to do that in front of, hey, when snow comes, though, and you're getting your eggs and your milk, because I hear about eggs and milk when snow comes, and bread, bread, bread. When you're doing that, man, that'd be a perfect time to break out in song right there in the egg aisle, right? And just start singing the top of your lungs, amazing grace or whatever it is that you know. But I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to think about, am I allowing God to cultivate these things in my life? Am I allowing God to transform my life by being joyful, by maturing myself, by making sure that I'm living a life of peace? 
You see, the temptation is for us to say, oh, I know someone that needs to hear that word. Like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell someone to watch that because I know they need to hear it. But that's, I don't want you to do that. I want you to ask, Lord, how am I doing it, cultivating these things in my own life? Am I modeling these things for my life? So just ask yourself, are you a joy giver? Are you a joy giver at home? Are you a joy giver at your work? Are you a joy giver in your church? Or are you a joy giver in your neighborhood? Do people often come up to you and say, why do you have so much joy in your life? You can't control what others do, but let me tell you, you can be filled with the Spirit of God and be a joyful person and a joy giver. You can give joy away by the way that you live your life. Or how about, how are you maturing? Are you intentionally growing? Are you allowing God to work in your life? Are you just kind of stuck in neutral? Or maybe you've even gone in reverse. I mean, think about it. What are you doing to mature your life? What are you intentionally doing to grow spiritually? Are you spending time in the Bible? Are you spending time praying? Are you gonna sign up for a small group later on this month? What about comfort and encouragement? Do you receive comfort from God and from others? Are you giving comfort away? Are you just holding on to it all for yourself? Are you like, oh God, bless me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me, help me, take care of me, take care, take care of me, and then never offering that same thing to people around you? Are you one in spirit and mind? Are you a divider or a restorer? Are you the one that's always causing the chaos? Are you the one that wants to be the one that brings restoration? Are you using your words and your actions and your attitudes to divide or to bring about peace? What kind of difference? Think about that. What kind of difference would it make if we, as followers of Jesus, would adopt these qualities in our lives? Let me tell you what kind of difference it would make. It would transform your life. If you would live a life of joy, that'll change your life. If you will live a life of peace, that will change your life. If you will intentionally grow your spiritual faith, that will change your life. But check it out. It won't just change your life. It'll change the lives of people around you. It'll change your family's life. It'll change your friends' lives. It'll change your coworkers' lives. It'll change your community's lives. And it will keep going and it will change the world if you will just embrace and adopt these qualities in your life. It'll transform your relationships. Maybe your marriage is struggling. It'll transform your marriage. It'll transform your families. It will transform your church. It'll transform your private conversations. It will, it will change the way you talk on Facebook. It will change the way that you talk at work. It will change everything if you will just embrace these five qualities. Rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged. Be of same mind. And be at peace. And then Paul wraps it all up by saying this. He gives a promise. And here's the promise at the end of verse 11. He says this. He says, if you'll do these things, the God of love and peace will be with you. If you will do these things, the God of peace and love will be present in your life. He wants there to be undeniable evidence that he is in your life. And if you will embrace these five things, you will see the evidence of God in your marriage, in your relationships, in your families, and in your church. If we will embrace these five transforming qualities that we've been talking about, you will see transformation take place like it never has before in your life. So let me just challenge you today. Let me just challenge you to ask yourself the question, Am I joyful? Do I have joy in my life? 
Am I being intentional about growing my spiritual faith? Listen, don't rely on the pastor to do it for you. You gotta grow your own faith. You gotta take ownership for it. Am I living a life of peace? Or am I living a life that's divided, constantly stirring up trouble? If you'll just embrace these five things, I promise you that you will begin to see transformation take place in your life starting right now. So as the worship team leads us in our closing song today, I just want to invite you to come. Come up to the front if you need to. Maybe you're recognizing, you know what? I haven't been living a joyful life. I've been living a life based on my circumstances, and I need joy in my life today. So I'm going to come up, and I'm just going to surrender all that anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm going to give it to Jesus so that I can have a joyful life. Or maybe you're like, you know what, Pastor Rick, I'm recognizing I've been in reverse. Like, I haven't been growing spiritually. I haven't, I've been going the opposite direction. I've been hanging out with the wrong people. I've been do, I haven't been doing the things I need to do, and I haven't been, I've been doing the things I don't need to do. So I'm going to come up here, and I'm just going to say, God, I'm sorry, and I want to give the best part of my life to you, and I'm going to grow my faith. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I've been stirring up chaos. Y'all know the people. You know who you are. If you're like the person that stirs up drama, Listen, that's not what God's called us to do. He hasn't called us to create drama. He's called us to create peace. And so maybe you need to come and say, hey, I've been a producer of drama. And now I want to be a producer of peace in my family and in my relationships and in my life. So church, you come. As the the team plays, you come. And you and God, you just get right with God and say, God, I want to I embrace these qualities in my life so that I can live the transformed life. Not just so I can be transformed, but so that those around me can be transformed as well. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this message. We thank you for these five words of encouragement that will change our lives. So, Father, we embrace them today. Lord, we pray that you would help us every day to live a life of joy, that we would intentionally grow our spiritual faith, that we would be of one, uh, we would encourage one another and comfort one another, that we wouldn't, we would be not divisive, but of the same mind, and we would be peacemakers, Lord. Would you help us, equip us, empower us to do those things? And Lord, if there's someone in this room today that's never, ever given their lives to you, I recognize that this makes no sense to them because they've never experienced your joy. But today can be the day that they say yes to you, that they surrender their lives to you, and they experience the joy that surpasses all joy, the joy that never ends, the joy of knowing you, the joy of giving their life to you because you gave everything for us. So Lord, all they have to do is say, God, I surrender my life to you. I declare you are my Lord and my Savior, and I want that joy down inside of me today. Lord, we love you. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. And Lord, now we come before you and we worship with you.